Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Did any of you ever play a sport maybe in high school, uh, football, soccer, or something that when practice started, there were two-a-day practices two times a day? Any, anybody ever do that? Uh, I did that. Um, Those can be exhausting days. It was his senior year in high school. It was the first day of two-a-day football practices, and Ray went to football practice, came home at the end of the day completely exhausted, but there was a special dinner there waiting for him because it was his birthday. And... After dinner, Ray's dad gave him a present, and it was a brand-new Bible. And inscribed in that Bible were these words. Bud, nothing could be greater than to have a son, a son who loves the Lord and walks with him. Your mother and I have found this book, Our Dearest Treasure. We give it to you, and doing so can give nothing greater. Be a student of the Bible, and your life will be full of blessing. We love you, Dad, 9766. That was Ray Ortland's father who gave him that Bible, and About five years ago, Ortland explained what that meant to him all through the years. He said this, as I read these wonderful words from 50 years ago, it never occurred to me to think, dad doesn't really believe that, it's just religious talk. I knew he meant it because I watched him live it. He was a student of the Bible, and his life was full of blessing, and I wanted what he had. The power of the Word of God to change a life. It changed the life of Ray Ortland's father. It changed the life of Ray Ortland and many lives through the ministry that God gave him. And that is going to be one of the key pieces that God includes when he builds his church. It's truth. It's word that he gives it. And that's what we're going to see in Acts chapter 2. I invite your attention to Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, 
they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, let me set the stage for you. Let me set the context as we come into Acts chapter 2. Peter has stood up to preach on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, Jewish people are gathered from all over the known world, and God miraculously filled them with the Holy Spirit for the first time. The apostles were preaching and speaking, and it was in known languages people heard in their own dialect from all over and they were like what is going on here Peter stands up and preaches about Jesus Chad quoted part of that uh, at the beginning of the service today he preaches about Jesus that he is risen that he can save you and indeed 3,000 people are saved and baptized so I would say that church had a pretty good start 3,000 salvations and baptisms on day one. Now, what does that church do? Now, what is that church like? What kind of church life do they have? And we are going to dive in for the next four weeks. If you have been at Harvest for a while, a couple of months ago, Justin Barber preached from this passage and did a really good job explaining what the early church was like. We're going to We're going to build on that, and we're going to dive in and spend even more time in this passage, four weeks on the four elements that are named in verse 42. Because it's interesting, each of these elements also comes through more through the rest of the New Testament. Some of them come through right here also in Acts 2, 42 to 47, Some of them come through the rest of Acts. Some of them come through in the rest of the New Testament. But here it is. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. As we dive into this passage, we're going to learn what church life was like. That's why this is called Church Life Part 1. There are four parts. So, We're going to dive in here, but before we look at the scripture, I want to put a couple of images up on the screen, and I want to show you what I hope will not be your response anytime you hear the word of God, but specifically over these next four weeks, and also what your response will be. So here's the response that I hope you don't have. I hope you don't pull out your report card. Boy, that just seeing that brings back some angst for some people, right? (laughs) What happens with the report card? Oh, somebody's grading you, right? And we do that in life. I mean, you know, we grade everything. We grade the restaurants we go to. We grade the songs we hear. We, we, we evaluate them. And in church, sometimes we come in with our report card. And so if we're, whatever passage it is, whatever the topic it is, rather than internalizing it for ourselves, we'll start grading. We'll, we'll think about Oh, the other people in the church, you know, they're, they're, a, they're a D in this. They're a C in this. They're, you know, they're an F in that. Oh, they might be an A in that. And we, and we start grading. Now, let me, let me say quickly that if you're a committed part of this church, 
the leadership of this church loves dialogue with you, and we always love to figure out how we can be more biblically faithful, and that's what we want. So it's not like we don't want any evaluation, but I'm just talking about how you personally hear the Word of God and evaluate things. It's the right, the wrong thing is to be grading your church. The wrong thing is to be grading others in your church. Maybe here's another image that's a more biblical image and a more helpful image. It's a mirror. (laughs) And the Word of God is like a mirror. And we can look in it and we can see ourselves. And hopefully that's what you'll do. As we walk through each of these things, you will look at it and you'll go, what do I see about myself here? And how am I functioning to build this church to be the way God wants his church life to be? Hopefully, you will do that. So today's focus is on what's there in gold. This, this, is, this is as far as we're going today. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There are four characteristics of dynamic church life in this passage. Characteristic number one is devotion to sound doctrine. Devotion to sound doctrine. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is it. This is point one. You've gotten your money's worth. You can go home if you like. Well, maybe not quite yet. I did hear, I did know this one church in Chicago that they always wanted people to apply the scripture. And they said, whenever at some point in the sermon, if you got something that you can go home and obey, then go ahead and just get up and start walking out. And you, and you don't even have to stay. In the first service, one gentleman stood up at that point. His wife kind of pulled him back in. <laughs> this is it. This is our one point for today. So it says four characteristics, but it, don't, don't uh, get nervous because you only see one on the outline because this is the only one we're going to do today. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what does this word devoted mean? It means to adhere to something, to persist in it, to be busily engaged in it, to spend much time with it. We saw this word already in Acts chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago. When we were talking about the early church and their commitment to prayer and how they were in the upper room and they were waiting on God together. And it says they joined constantly together in prayer. That was the same word as the word devoted. We're going to see it again in Acts when we come to chapter 6 when the apostles chose seven servants to, to take care of the food distribution. So they said we can devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. They were devoted. This was not a church that was casual. This was not a church that just happened to do these things occasionally or do them when they feel like them, but they were, they were committed. In fact, that is what the word devoted. When it says they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching, this pictures an ongoing commitment. It's present tense. It's ongoing, and it involves commitment. So what exactly were they committed to? Let's look today at the fact that they were committed to the apostles' teaching. Now, the apostles 
were those men who lived and walked with Jesus. They saw his miracles. They heard his teaching. They saw his life. They they were chosen by him to become the leaders of the church, the foundation of the church. They were with him. They saw everything. At that point, there was not a written New Testament. They couldn't say, turn in your Bible to Philippians chapter 3. Well, let's all look at Galatians chapter 5 or something like that. There wasn't a written New Testament. Now, the Old Testament was in place, but they were the apostles. So here's Jesus. Jesus was here, and these 12 walked with him, and he downloaded things into them. He taught things to them. He gave them authority to teach others. And now, now that he's gone back to heaven, he's gonna, they start teaching the church. They start teaching the church. There's no list. We can't, in antiquity, we can't go find a thing that, that says the apostles teaching and it's a list of, you know, eight things. But based on what we know from the rest of Acts, as we watch what they say and what they do, it certainly had to deal with the kingdom of God. It was the things they saw and heard in Jesus, the things that Jesus taught, the kingdom of God, the person of Jesus, who he was, his work, what he accomplished what it meant to follow God, what it meant to to be a Christian. Those were the types of things that would have been included. All of his commands and teachings that he gave, it just, it wasn't in a book form yet. Now, here's the interesting thing. Now, you and I do have a full Bible, we have a written word of God. And the teachings that have come to us in the New Testament have come through these apostles who were with Jesus and who were authorized by Jesus. And now they are given to us. So now we do have the equivalent of the apostles' teaching. When the apostles spoke, they weren't speaking on their own. They weren't just making things up. Jesus had authorized them. Jesus has said, I am putting my stamp on you. You are an apostle. I am authorizing you to teach my principles. So, for instance, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, we read from the apostle Paul, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you. Read the rest of that sentence with me out loud. By the authority of the Lord Jesus. Jesus gave the apostles authority, and now the apostles are giving them authority. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 10, Paul wrote, this is why I write these things when I'm absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. Here's the chief. This is the building. The cornerstone is Jesus. The foundation is the apostles and prophets. In other words, the the teaching of the apostles. That is what is foundational for the church. 
And in Ephesians 3, 4, and 5, Paul wrote, In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Do we want a Spirit-filled church similar to what happened in Acts chapter 2? If we do... The first thing that we should do is to engage ourselves in a serious, open, deep study of God's Word. We should know what the apostles taught. We should be devoted to the apostles' doctrine. Now, when I say the word doctrine... I, want, I, I wish I could see that little, those little pictures in your brains that go out. Like some of you might be jumping up and down and say, yeah, brother, give us the doctrine. And some of you might be going, hmm. You might think that doctrine is something that's otherworldly and ethereal. It's something that belongs in a seminary class. It's something that, you know, people, many Sincere Christians love the Bible and they believe the Bible, but they, they think that theology or doctrine is, is something that has no relevance to their life and it's just something that people argue about. Well, I want to respond to that in two ways this morning. First of all, I want to say this to you. As a believer in Jesus Christ and as a church that follows Jesus Christ, we have to know what the Bible teaches. We have to understand what God says about the most important things in life. Things like who is God and what is he like? Who is Jesus? Why did he come? What did he do here? What does it mean? How do, what does a person have to do to be right with God, to, to go to heaven after they leave this life? So, for instance, let's take just those three. Who is God and what is he like? The three major religions of the world, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, all agree that there's one God and that he created the world and that he revealed himself to Abraham. But once you get past that, Judaism and Islam do not agree with Christianity that God is three in one. They do not believe in the Trinity. They do not believe in the triune God. There are also millions of people in this world that belong to groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the Unitarians, that accept heretical forms of Christianity that reject this essential Christian truth that God is three in one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to know what the teaching of the apostles found in the Bible is. How about Jesus? Who is Jesus? Most false views of Christ diminish or deny his deity. For instance, Jehovah's Witnesses teach that he was the God's first, Jesus was God's first and greatest created angel. Mormons believe that Jesus was just one of a number of gods that first made the world. Islam conceives of Jesus as a prophet that Christians later came along and wrongly identified him as divine. 
One, this Pentecostals believe that Jesus is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all rolled into one, that the, the Son, uh, they deny that the Son existed pre-existence in a form that's separate from God the Father. That's why it's called oneness. It's just like, just there's, just, there's not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We need to understand what the Bible teaches that the apostles gave us. What about how do we get to heaven? Islam is one of many religions that teach we earn our way by good works. And some religions like Jehovah's Witnesses talk about faith and say you need to be saved by faith in Christ, but also faith plus works. So these are just three examples. I could, I could go on and on and on with all kind of false views that are out there. And they're, we have to understand what the Bible teaches. The second way that I want to respond, I told you that I wanted to respond to that in two ways. The second way that I want to respond to that is that biblically, sound doctrine and lifestyle are not two separate things. There is an incredible link between what we believe and how we live. And nowhere is this found more than in what we know as the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus. So for instance, watch this. Paul is writing to Titus and he says, you however much teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Okay, Titus, get it out. Let's teach them eschatology and pneumatology. Let's go. Get that, get that big theology out, Titus. Sound doctrine? What, what do you mean, sound doctrine? Well, let me tell you what I mean. Uh, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. And then in verse 3, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Sound doctrine is intricately linked with how we live. And I could give you many, many examples from the pastoral epistles of that principle. But we can err. It is easy to err on one side of the equation or, or the other. We can we can say, oh, I want to only think about the great theological truths of the Bible without really applying them to life. Or we can think, oh, I want to think about the practical things in the Bible. Haddon Robinson was a very influential pastor himself and seminary professor. He trained many, many people how to preach. And he said this, we need to ask ourselves, do I really believe that God gave the Bible merely for some practical advice on how to have a happy marriage, how to get along with people, or how to be healthy and wealthy? Do I believe it's merely a textbook on good behavior, on how to be moral? If I believe that, then I'm going to go searching the Bible for practical truth, and what I'm really looking for is just good advice. We don't need good advice. The world's got better advice than it knows how to live up to. It needs God. It needs the power of God, the authority of God, the wisdom of God. Christians need sound doctrine, and it's out of that that we can live well, both eternally and temporally. 
So when we think about doctrine, when we think about are we a people devoted to sound doctrine, it's important because we must know what to believe on these, these important issues. And we also need to know what the Bible teaches so that we live it. So they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Then that was the actual teaching of the apostles. That was the apostles walking around saying, here's what Jesus taught, and here's what you need to know. That's what it was then. What about now? Now we have the written word of God. Now God has blessed us. Here was Jesus. It was passed on to the apostles. They taught it to the early church. It was written in ways that have been preserved for us. And now we have a Bible full of sound doctrine. In 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Paul wrote, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed to you. If we want to live dynamic vibrant, victorious, spirit-filled lives, we have to engage in a serious learning of the Bible. If we want to be a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit, that is a dynamic, vibrant church, we have to have a commitment to the Bible and the sound doctrine that it contains. Now notice how the Word of God, the Bible... And sound doctrine are not two separate things. Now, sometimes we in contemporary, and by contemporary, I don't mean in the last 10 years, but I mean in the last hundreds of years, we've, we've written some theologies and, and we've categorized them as, oh, this is a systematic theology and this is a biblical theology and we've looked at them. And those are just different ways to organize the truth. But what does the Bible do with it? Watch this. Watch how the Bible itself teaches sound doctrine. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, preach the word. Preach the word. Just preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And now in the next verse, verse 3, he tells Timothy why he must preach the word. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, I don't know when it happened, but I, that this prophecy of Paul has come true. The time has clearly come. I'm sure it happened a lot sooner than the year 2021, but if there ever was any description of, of our culture and our society, it's what Paul said. People, people don't want to hear sound. They don't want to hear what the Bible has to say overall. They, they just want to hear people tell them what they want God to say, what they want the Bible to say, right? Paul said it, the time's coming, it, it is coming. And, you know, Timothy probably thought, or possibly thought, really, is that going to be the case? Well, it's absolutely the case. The Word of God is so awesome. It is so amazing. It is so valuable. It is eternal. 
It gives us God's heart. It gives us God's mind. It shows us who God is. It helps us live. It helps us prepare for heaven. It is everything we need. This is the word of God. And the apostle Peter saw it as well. In fact, he said to the people to whom he wrote that you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. The Word of God is the seed of God to give spiritual birth and spiritual life. Why? Because all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the Word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good this is God's seed this is his eternal word and our desire now God's desire for us is that our desire will be for the word just like a baby desires milk the baby has to have that milk you get that baby on that schedule and that time comes and that bait that bottle's not warm yet wow you hear it right (laughs) god's word is that for us how can we be saturated with scripture well i've got a i've got a little picture on your outline it's a hand because i think there are I, i think there are Five different ways at least for you and me to be saturated with Scripture and to hold on with Scripture. You know, if you're going to try to pull something out of my hand, if I'm, if I'm just holding on to it with one finger, you're going to get it pretty easily or two or three. But if I've got my whole hand gripping it, it's going to, it, it's going to be a solid grip. So may this help you remember these ways, but also may God speak to you about them. And the first one is hearing it. It's simply hearing the word. This is what you're doing now. You're hearing the word of God. But this also would include reading the word yourself or hearing the word read. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the first one. Hear the word of God. But we need to go beyond hearing it and study. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Study is hard work. Studying the Bible is hard work. The Bible's valuable. It's wonderful. But you don't just open up the Bible and spend three minutes with it and have, have a great, rich, wonderful experience. You don't just flip it up and say, okay, what does God have for me today and, and do like that. It, study is work. 
It's hard. It's written in different languages. It's written with different cultures. We have to do background study and word study and read it and process it and, and dive into it. it. It's so valuable, but it does take time. We will get more. We will get so much more when we study it than when we just read a little simple devotion by somebody else. So there's hearing it, studying it, and then memorizing it. Psalm 119, 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That, that, that goes up. That's, there's a little bit more effort in that to, to like get saturated, let it fill our heart and let it fill our mind. And then here's another one, meditating. Meditating on Scripture. Psalm 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord who meditates on his law day and night. This is letting the Bible, letting the truths of Scripture roll around in our mind over and over again. This is what I try to do in the mornings. I don't, I don't do detailed Bible study in my personal time with God before I begin my day. I do that later at, at certain times. But I try to get connected with Scripture that I can think about and really dive in. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's the best way I can meditate by starting the day that way before my mind gets filled up with everything else because it gets my small mind gets filled up pretty quickly with other things meditating is just letting it pour over us well and there's one more and that's obeying you know we, we don't just hear it and study it and memorize it and even meditate on it without putting it into practice James 1 says do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says Do what it says. So here's God's word today. When God builds his church, it is devoted to sound doctrine. When God builds his church, it is devoted to sound doctrine. If harvest, if, if we're going to be that church, if we are going to be a church of whom it is said... This is a church that's devoted to sound doctrine. There's, there's four levels, and all four levels have to be at work. One level won't do it. Two levels won't do it. It has to be at all four levels. But let me note this before I give you what the four levels are. Their response of this church, this early church, their response and ours is all a response to God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to get the idea. I don't want you to walk out of here today and over the next four weeks that we're talking about, okay, we got to do all these things. we got to do this. we got to do this. we got to do this. Let's remember the context. This is Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit has come on them and filled them with power. They are saved. They are joyful. God has poured out something on them, and their response is to devote themselves to one, two, three, four, right? And so this is not we're trying to gain God's favor. 
oh, well, if I study the Bible a whole lot, God will favor me. No, God has already favored you in Jesus. And because he has favored you, you want to understand who he is and study his word and memorize his word and meditate on his word and put his word into practice. So today, let's remember God's grace. For some of you, who knows who's hearing this, it it may mean responding to God's grace for the very first time, that Jesus died in your place to save you from your sin, and it's responding to him in grace. For many as Christians, as already being followers of Jesus Christ, it's, wow, thank you for your grace, and now I want to dive into sound doctrine. So what does it look like for harvest? What are the levels? What does it look like for harvest? Well, the first is the pulpit. A church every week uh, stands and proclaims some truth somehow and deals with the Bible in some kind of way. We have that. This is why at Harvest, this is why we're committed to expository preaching. This is why it's not the pastor's ideas. We're not trying to create these great sounding series or uh, relevant things that will, will draw people in. We believe the Bible is our textbook. We believe God has spoken and that as we speak it and explain it, We also will talk about how all of it is applicable to life. We will talk about why it's relevant and how it's relevant. But the key difference is it is the Word of God. It is the Word of God, and we have to have that. So I'm not planning on getting hit by a bus this afternoon. But if I get hit by a bus and you look for a new pastor, please find a pastor that's going to be committed to the sound exposition of Scripture because that's where God's power is. So that's the first level. Second level is the group level. Groups study the Bible together. They don't just gather to be with each other, as valuable and necessary as that is. They let the Word guide them and shape them. And I'm so thankful for the groups that exist in this church. We have Bible studies. We have community groups. We have men's Bible studies and women's studies, particular with uh, Mary Bell's different groups. The Word of God shapes. So there's the pulpit level. There's the group level. There also then is the family level. Because all of these groups, Sunday only lasts so long. The Bible study only lasts so long. The family is together all the time or much of the time through the week. So a church that's devoted to sound doctrine is going to be one where the the parents, the Christian parents are helping teach and train their kids. They're modeling their kids just like Ray Ortland saw in his father. He saw a love for the word of God. And then the fourth level is the individual level. It's individuals saying, I am going to be in God's Word on a regular basis. I'm going to study it. I'm going to understand it. I'm going to let it feed me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, because I'm a Christian, therefore every day in which I do not penetrate more deeply into the knowledge of God's Word and Holy Scripture is a lost day for me. And may that be our, may that be our quest. And let me say this. 
I've already admitted earlier that Bible study can be hard. It can be challenging. It can be different. For some, it can be new. If you hunger to be able to get into God's Word, but you aren't quite sure how, you aren't quite sure that you know how to do it, there are tons of resources available. But I would urge you to come to me, to come to one of our elders, one of our pastors, one of our uh, community group leaders, and just say, man, I need, I need help. I, I'm not going to go through them. I, I brought a few uh, books with me. We've got tons of resources on how to study the Bible, how to apply the Bible, how to read the Bible. We've got all of that. And we don't want anybody to not progress here just because you don't know how to. We're very fortunate in this culture to have a lot of great helps on how you can personally saturate yourself with Scripture. Let me close with this. Gordon MacDonald attended uh, a college prep school in New York. And there was a required course. When you were a senior, you had to take senior Bible. And at that time, the senior Bible course was taught by the biblical scholar Frank Gabalang. In that course they had to memorize 300 scripture verses. So during, that, during the course of that, they, they worked a lot on scripture memory. They would recite it over and over and over. And in fact, as they walked around on campus, uh, Gordon said that, you know, if you were walking along and you were to run into uh, Dr. Gabaline, um, he, he would say, okay, give me John 13, 34. <laughs> and you needed to be ready to, you know, to, to quote the scripture to him. But he said... One of the passages that they learned was Psalm 46. They focused on Psalm 46. They recited it over and over and over. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And he said, we, that was burned into me over and over. Well, years passed. He graduated. He became a pastor. He said, through the years, I, I preached on Psalm 46 at times. I, I came back to it personally. But he said, a few weeks ago, he got a message from his doctor. And his doctor said to him, Gordon, I have some difficult news for you. There's a tumor in the back of your head in the lining of the brain. It's not malignant, but it has to come out. And listen to what he said. I have spent my whole life helping other people face doctor call moments like these. Now it was my turn and the very first thing that began to surge through my mind was, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed. When I was a teenager, a brilliant and godly man pumped my friends and me full of Scripture. But now his effort is paying off. 
Thanks to Dr. Gabaline in Psalm 46, I may be concerned and cautious, but I am not inclined to be fearful. That is the power of the Word of God. Harvest, we need to be people of the Word. We need to be people committed, devoted to sound doctrine. Because when God builds His church, it is devoted to sound doctrine. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.